We say we want a kinder, gentler world. Well, let's meet someone who gets up every day to do just his part to make that happen. I'm Garland McWaters, and this is The Spirit of Leading. My guest on this episode of The Spirit of Leading is Jose Vega. He serves as the program director for Oklahomans for Equality and the Dennis R. Neal Equality Center here in Tulsa. Oklahomans for Equality seeks uh, to represent equal rights for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer individuals. But Jose's story goes way, way beyond that, and we're going to hear a lot more about that today. Jose, thanks so much for taking time to join us on this episode of The Spirit of Leading. Thank you for having me. You're a relatively newcomer to the center itself, so tell us about how you got here and your responsibilities with the Equality Center. Yeah, so I always knew about the center when growing up. I knew that I identified as a gay man, and I wanted to know what resources were out there for individuals like me. Uh, One day I went to a bar along with two friends, and this bar was an LGBT bar. And so my two friends are undocumented, Uh, They do have their passports, though. So we're out, going to have a good time on a Friday night. And as we walk into the bar, the host asks, can can we see IDs? I show my Oklahoma ID. My friends show their passport. As the door person is going through their passport, asking, where's the stamp that proves that they're here legally? Kind of pause, and I said, well, we're just here for a drink, and this is valid ID. You can see their photo and their date of birth, which is all you need to verify. And she says, no, I need to have proof that they're here legally. I said, actually, that's very racist of you to ask. And especially in a community where we're trying to seek equality, not promoting or giving equality. And so there was a bit of interaction of words. And so I said, you know what, we're just going to leave. The next day I called the Equality Center and I knew that you could file reports So I filed a report towards this bar. Um, They did a report, they did an investigation. At that time, I worked at the Tulsa World, assistant to the executive editor. And Monday morning, I let them know, and they said, if they don't apologize to you, we're gonna run a front page story, because that is not fair, and how can one community promote equality, but not give it? And so I didn't want that to go in the media either. spoke with the executive director. We set up a meeting by Thursday. They apologized. Um, My friends didn't want to attend. And it's very common in the Hispanic undocumented community. Anytime somebody said racial slurs or made us feel uncomfortable, just leave it there. Don't say anything. Let's just go. Let's just go. And nothing gets done. And so I stood up and I said, no, we need to do, I need to say something and do something. Because if they did it to my friends, they probably did it to other people, and they're going to continue. So there was a lesson learned for them. And from there on, I said, I want to start volunteering at the center. And that was in 2012, about a year, two years later, um, the position became available. And I said, now I want to do it full time. And I applied. And here you are. Now here I am. And here you are. parents were undocumented, but you're a natural-born citizen of the United States. Yes. You were born here in Tulsa, right? Yes, I was born here in Tulsa, and I still have family members who are Mm -hmm. undocumented. 
But that's why I'm a huge advocate for the dreamers and undocumented community, because even though I have documents and I was born here, I saw my family in the shadows. I saw their fear every time a cop or an officer was pulling them up or asking them questions. Um, so I lived in the shadows along with them, and I don't. I want to break those barriers down. Right. From a lot of people, uh, hearing about someone who is an undocumented resident is uh, not the same thing as actually knowing one, yeah. because you know you hear about this, and it's very widespread on our media, obviously. And we have uh, friends, and we all go to Thanksgiving, and <laughs> we have those conversations and about uh, that situation. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, uh, what was the circumstances that brought your your parents here to the, to the United States to begin with? Yeah, they wanted a better life. Uh, thing, they lived in a small town. Uh, there was no work, and they had no money. So they had some family members who came here and said, hey, I'm trying to make a living here. I'm building a house. You know, why don't you, why don't you both move here? First, they had moved to California, and they found, that, found out that was too expensive. Family member was in Oklahoma. They moved to Oklahoma, and from there on, started making a life. A lot of the community members, uh, immigrant community members, they're seeking a better life. And the LGBT in Honduras, um, Nicaragua, Guatemala, all of these countries, Latin American countries, people are fleeing because of prosecution, LGBT prosecution. You can't be transgender, you can't be gay, you can't be lesbian, because they'll murder you for that. And so that's something that's hard for people to really identify with or understand why people do leave from one country to another or one area to another and what the nature of some kind of persecution might be. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're not persecuted, you know what it's like to be persecuted. If you've never been persecuted, you might persecution might be someone that insults you wanting, a, wanting your seat at the restaurant or something, but it's yeah. not really the kind of persecution that really is a life-threatening or, or a bodily harm kind of persecution that I just might be an insult, and someone thinks if they're insulted, they're persecuted. Yeah. But uh, usually, I mean, you're talking about a very different kind of life experience for many of these individuals. And so they come to the United States, and very, however, usually however they can get here, they take up residence, and they start their family, and they live a very long, productive, involved community life doing good things. Yeah, and they contribute. They pay their taxes. They give back to the community. I've seen that so much. How do they stay under the radar in the sense of uh, having a job and so forth and not be uh, exposed and and subject to deportation, you know, through those years, how do they get by? Yeah, they're able to fi fi file for a kind of tax ID number mm -hmm. where they're able to work. Um, so that's a legal process. That is a legal process. Okay. Most of these people are doing construction, uh, cleaning, jobs that not regular people would like to do, you know, or uh, people who went to college or high school. Um, so these people are doing whatever possible to meet ends meet. Mm -hmm. And so in all other ways, they are living uh, pretty much law-abiding, tax-paying, in the sense, lives, uh, just like any other American would do. Yeah, so at the end of the year, they're able to do a file, um, you know, what they receive throughout the year and have to pay their part of the tax. Right.
anyway, I was I was wanted to kind of get that out there because that's a part of your life. That's a part of your story. Yeah. And uh, and fortunately, you were able to be born in the United States, and so. Uh, you have all the benefits of citizenship that any natural-born citizen does. Mm -hmm. With that in mind, then that doesn't mean that your life is without issue, because like you say, being gay, that uh, that always that brings with it this whole set of issues and, and and difficulties that you've had to kind of work your way through. Yes, yeah, even my skin color. Um, back in, I want to say May of 2016, um, I was assaulted at a Walgreens. First, it started with racial slurs. And of course, you know, you see me, you automatically associate me with his, the Hispanic community. And then I was wearing a rainbow flag t-shirt. And from there on, I gave myself out as well. I was sick and I just went to go get medication. And as I'm walking out, I was targeted by an individual. Racial and homophobic slurs. I was beat up in the parking lot. My car vandalized and and I was able to capture uh, pictures, small amount of pictures, and give those to the police. But the only way, the only reason they considered it a hate crime was because of racial slurs. Mm -hmm. So because I'm a gay man, if they would have beat me up just because of that and not include racial slurs, I wouldn't be a protected class. So it's tough to know that half of who I am and who I identify is protected. Well, you would think assault is assault regardless of why someone did it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so it doesn't have to be a hate crime to be a crime. I mean, with someone who beats you up who doesn't know you just beat you up, I would say, seem to me like hate would be sort of implicit within that. This has been not a new story, just a different chapter of the same old horrible thing that has happened in the past. But here we are, you know, like I said in my introduction, I picked that up from one of your quotes from an article I read about you. So I just want to make the world a better place. And so how do you pick yourself up and go about doing that? Seeing people smile, seeing people um, be able to reach their dreams and their goals. Um, I have to understand my privilege. I, I have privilege of speaking English. I have privilege, like you mentioned, you know, that I was born here. I have, I'm able-bodied. I'm a male. So I have to understand that these privileges that I do have to help other people. So as able-bodied, I have to open my eyes and see, okay, if somebody's not able to get into the building or have access, what are, what are the keys things that I need to do or who do I need to speak to so to elevate this voice same as women's rights same as you know individuals who don't speak English you know when the flooding was happening um, recently here in Oklahoma um, I was seeing just English news and English information from City Hall and so forth so I was really impressed to see City Hall finally put Spanish and uh, Hmong and all of these other languages to the community. What lits my fire and my passion is seeing people smile and giving them the opportunity to reach their dreams and elevate their voices where they're like, finally I made it because mm -hmm. you helped me. And that's all I want to do. Right. Well, I appreciate that perspective too, because, you know, as a, a person who's been privileged his life, and, and by that I mean the same blessings of liberty that you are talking about. And uh, later on went, in, went on in, into the ministry and was in the ministry for a number of years. 
And so I kind of have that part of uh, in my background where I look at people and I think, well, you know, what would Jesus have done, or what's the thing of what would what's God's expectation of uh, the way you treat another person, and and aren't we all uh, that same child of God, you know, in a sense, aren't we? Aren't, do we all have God in us, as my religion would teach, that we are all God and God is in us? That's what Jesus taught, you know, in a sense. We pride ourselves on being a Christian nation in that sense, and we. It's interesting to me that we be a Christian nation and look on disdain with people who are not specifically of that Christian faith or that Christian walk, but yeah. yet they all claim God. You know, even Muslims claim the same God that the Christians claim is their God. And yet, how do we how do we not how do we look on people through eyes that are not other than eyes of love and compassion? I just can't understand that. Not my God loves everyone, and made everybody the way they're supposed to be. And so if we begin with that place, Jesus, when they asked Jesus, well, what's the greatest command? You know, they really uh, thought they had him cornered on that particular question, and uh, he just simply recited what they all knew. Well, you love God first, and then after that you love your neighbor and yourself. Mm -hmm. If you can't work everything within those two parameters, I don't know what to tell you, kind of what he was saying, you know. Uh, I kind of go back to that. I do that in my life and in my teaching. And I think in terms of, well, how do we spread that story? How do we live that presence of God in our life if we want to talk about it that way? You know, it's what you're trying to do every day. Yeah, so when religion comes into play, I just let everybody know. Um, I'm still Catholic. I was born and raised Catholic. And I know that my God made me the way I am and and loves me. And I should just worry about myself. wasn't an easy road for you and I've, I've picked up on some things we were talking about before we started recording about your growing up uh, because the, the decision to come out when you did as a teenager had its repercussions yeah yeah I came out at 15 and um, it was a moment where probably it wasn't accurate for me to come out because I knew that my family wasn't going to be accepting but I needed to be truthful to myself and I came out and I was rejected and kicked out. I knew how the system worked on shelters and foster care and how issues were going to um, play out that I decided just to couch surf um, and survive sometimes on the streets and put myself through high school and college. What shaped me throughout there was meeting very kind, beautiful people who would give me a warm meal um, give me a ride to uh, research where I was a sacker. Okay, give me a ride back to school. Allow me to couch surf. Um, push me, motivate me, hear me cry, and just let a shoulder, you know, yeah. for me to lean on. Um, so I met a lot of people who really inspired me. And I had no credibility. Of course, I was 15, 16. Um, but they believed in me and they said, you know what, we're going to give you a chance. And because those people gave me a chance, I did not want to put them down. There's something to be said for that experience where uh, you have a lot of things going against you in terms of being successful or even surviving, uh, but yet there were people who showed you kindness. How did that, how did that kind of experience shape sort of the kind of person you became? Um, at first I was very angry at the world. You know, my family doesn't love me. I was been rejected. 
um, nobody's going to love me because of who I am. Um, growing up that that was evil, that, that was, I was going to hell growing up thinking that I was impure. That's who I thought of myself. But when I started opening up to other people and those people saying, Oh, it's okay. You know, it's okay. As they started developing that in me, that it is okay. Um, and that's when I started opening up and saying, you know what, not the whole, not everybody is mean. And I cannot assume that everyone is coming towards me with a, um, mean heart or with bad intentions. And because they gave me opportunities, that's what I want to do. I want to give other people opportunities and pay it forward. That was the best class and education that I could have had my entire life. And that's what shaped me. It's a fascinating experience, and I'm very moved by that. Because when people show you a nice, something, a nice side, and you see how that profoundly influences or affects your life, where do you go with that? How does that just take you to the next level for yourself? And not only to project that to the people who are like you, the people who are kind to you who are because they, they are like you, but the people who are not like you. Yeah, so I've had experiences where people don't, we're very yin and yang, like very parallel, like different. And so what I try to do is understand them. They may be going through something. Um, I remember myself pushing back, pushing back people because, oh, I'm not that happy or I'm not, I don't think that way. And closing myself, but because I knew what I was going through. So when I work with individuals or meet people who, aren't on the same page, I have to understand they may be going through something. That's not really who they are. Um, give them some time, give them some space, um, find out what they like. And if that's something that you like, let's work together. I have met pe um, people who weren't towards good intentions or took advantage of me that I did not let that darken my heart. I remove the bad apples out of my life and just leave the good apples. That's what I try to do with other individuals. Let them know, hey, you might be going through something. Take some time to think. Um, I understand mental health is very, very important in, our, in all communities mm -hmm. because of traumas and, and um, experiences. But let's shape those experiences to positivity, to how can we pay it forward and how can we move to creating change, positive change in the world. many other groups that you're involved with as well. It's not just the, uh, the, the center here. It's uh, throughout the community. What are some other things that really uh, pique your interest, the things that you like to be involved in? Something I love is the Marriage Youth Council. So for five years, I've been directing the Marriage Youth Council. And that was something that I was part of in high school. So my senior year, I was a young counselor. And I was, that was the last year. That was in 2010. And then in 2015, I brought it back. I had the chance to sit with uh, Mayor uh, Bartlett and talk about, hey, I was part of this program. It changed my life, and I want to pay it forward to other youth. So this year would be the fifth year that I've been doing it, and I teach youth about local government, how it works. Let them meet city officials. Let them know about what's going on in the city, new proposals, and let them give their input. Because if, we're, if we are trying to attract and retain our talent, let's keep our youth here. They're our future citizens of Tulsa. And so it's a great 
uh, access to the city of Tulsa, get to learn how the Covana, turn, the Covana Energy Center turns trash into energy for the city, how the Gilchrist Museum Vault is the largest city asset. Um, they get to learn all of that. That's one big passion that I have. Second is I'm the vice chair of the City Hispanic Affairs Commission for the city of Tulsa. I'm a city commissioner, and I work to connect the Hispanic community with the city and to learn what the city is doing and how the Hispanic community and immigrants can give back or learn what's going on in their community. I'm also part of the Anti-Bullying Coalition for bullying. I, I, I am a victim of bullying. Of bullying in high school, workplace, um, growing up, all of that. And so I want to help uh, adults and youth how to work with bullying and how to stop that. I am on the City Council Family for Power Family to educate that families, uh, if, you're, if your young one comes out, what not to do and what to do. Or if a parent is coming out and they're in a divorce or finally coming to census of who they are, these are steps that you can take and do. I also organized Dia de los Muertos Festival, the Day of the Dead Festivals at Living Art. My point is there are many things that you're, you're evolved with and in that go way beyond just your interest, you know, with the LGBT community and, and, and making the community better in a lot of ways. There's a certain amount of compassion and understanding that sort of trans that infuses all of those experiences from the experience that you've had. How are you using that experience to help people who are not gay uh, really understand uh, their own sense of compassion? It seems like uh, sometimes where our awareness is not really heightened in this, in certain ways. It's not we're not the gain's not turned up. Is I guess maybe a way to think about that. We're not. Uh, we're not uh, tuned into the real sense of what compassion really is in ourselves and what, where that comes from. Uh, have you been able to sort of help people tap that in themselves from the experiences that you had? I actually have. A few people have come towards me and said, hey, I was homophobic. Um, but getting to know you, getting to see how you express yourself, the work that you're doing, and how you have this philosophy and ideology about the world. I, I want to get to know more people like you, more people from your community. And that has inspired me even more that I was blessed to have this skill. And what I do is try to find a way to meet their needs and find a way to shape, okay, learn about them and where they're coming from and where's that uh, root of the problem and try to help them pull that out and understand that, hey, you're just exactly like me. Mm -hmm. Who cares what you do in your private life or who you love? You know, you're great to work with and set those examples. Yeah, that ability to really sense or to be compassionate uh, extends into other things as well. Like people who are suffering with mental, mental illnesses or mental situations, uh, what's it like to be them? What's it like to live their life every day going through the difficulties they face battling these mental difficulties, these mental health difficulties. I have a good friend who's, who is uh, bipolar, mm -hmm. and, and you know she's a lovely, wonderful person, but there's, it's difficult sometimes. And it's easy when she's going through some of those episodes to say, oh, well, okay, just go take care of yourself. You, know, you just want to not be around them. But then on the other hand, you realize uh, you can't just let that go. 
No, no. You, you, can't, you can't just only be a friend whenever it's fun to be their friend. You've got to be their friend every day when it's not fun to be their friend. And to me, that's the sense, sense of being able to, to, to feel with or not just empathize, but to feel some compassion for people going through those difficult times. Yeah, those good, those bad times. You, everybody needs some support no matter what time it is. And so just always be in there, extending a helping hand. And if they choose to say, hey, give me space, then give it to them. And just let them know, hey, I'm over here in case you need anything. Right. Well, I want to bring that around to how, how it affects us and our ability to lead. This leadership comes with a sort of a sort of spirit attached to it, that uh, we, we lead from a place. We lead because of something about who we are. And we, we offer that as a part of that leadership service. Uh, that aspect of ourselves. What uh, deep down inside have you found within you that you offer sort of in that kind of service of leadership that is, uh, it comes from a place like that for you? So I remember growing up that I had ideas and inspirations and that I wanted to do things, but I didn't have the resources or access or a voice at a table. And so that's what I like to do. You know, I would, I, have access to city hall, I have access to city officials, to CEOs and executive directors of other companies and organizations. So when I see an individual that, hey, I wanna do this, I have this idea, okay, I'm gonna provide the car, the keys, the insurance, the gas, I'll be in the back seat or in the passenger seat, but I want you to drive this. Mm -hmm. And when they finally reach their goal, and they're so happy, I'm, I'm done. I, I'm out of that car and let them continue driving it. And that just helps the next person. And hopefully that inspires them to um, get a voice at that table where they're wanting, but also remain humble. I always tell them, remain humble. Remember to pay it forward. Remember that you're at the voice now, you're representing people, look back and elevate them. Give them an extending hand, let them know, hey, let me know what's going on. Well, that's a kind of gentler approach you were, I was referring to earlier, you know, yeah. in the introduction, that uh, whenever you lead from that kind of a spirit of place of wanting to help uh, not just be the leader, but help other person to emerge themselves in whatever way they're able to emerge. Now, I call it becoming empowered yeah. because a lot of times we say, well, well, I can empower someone. And the way I've heard that used in the past was, well, I can give you permission to go and do and like I said, and I've empowered you to just, well, go and take care of that. But you can tell that to people all you want to. They've got to feel it inside themselves to be able to bring it out from themselves and to be able to offer it. They've got to be able to go do that. Like you say, drive the car. Mm -hmm. yeah, you, can, you can say, okay, there's a car, go drive it. Well, I don't believe in myself enough to want to grab the steering wheel. You know, I'll just ride along with you. <laughs> so yeah. I'm not empowered to drive. But when you can give a person that sense of accomplishment and, 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 and energy from inside themselves to define their own creative force to express and they and they bring it forth there's their empowerment mm -hmm. that's when they are empowered to be able to do that and it sounds to me like that's where you're coming from yeah that's why that's, I said that's why I said help be in the back seat or in the passenger let me know if you need any help and then once they fully success, succeed and they're driving by themselves then I step out and I'm ready to jump into another car right. and help them I, I was in a leadership class uh, some time back, and we were looking at some you know, how, how, how leaders 
what leaders do. And the, what really came out of that conversation was that leaders create other leaders. Uh, they don't just stand in front of the room and tell people what to do. They don't just direct people. They build with them and behind them empowering individuals who can take it and go forward from there. Uh, that's the way a, a movement perpetuates is by developing leaders behind who can keep moving it forward in whatever form it needs to yes. and, and, and go forward with that. Another thing that I say very frequently in, about leaders is that a leader is, some, is someone who takes us places we can't go on our own. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I don't need them. Yep. And in that sense, you know, to lead me. But uh, to get me places where I can't go by myself. Did you ever have that moment when you say, I just don't know if I can get there? And someone came along and made that happen for you? There was many times, many times where I wanted to quit and just didn't believe myself. I said, nope, I don't know who to reach, so I'm just going to put this back here in the back burner. That's usually what I do. Any idea, any things that I want to reach, put in the back burner, just leave it back there. And when I do meet somebody, um, I pull it up and say, hey, are you able to help me? Or some people are like, I have this similar idea. Well, let's work together. So... What I love about Oklahoma is Oklahoma. I've met most people here that are very kind, loving, and generous people who are willing to help, jump on board, and provide resources, funding, resources as connections and um, and venues to make these projects and make Tulsa a better place. Is there a piece of advice you would give to any young leader who's who's uh, of your age or even younger? I know you work with high school kids a lot, uh, and they're sort of getting there, or maybe they're a little, a little reluctant, a little reticent, you know, to kind of move forward. How would you encourage them to move on? What's the words of encouragement that you give? Words of encouragement probably would be, it gets better. You know, in the LGBT community, we always say it gets better. And we sometimes form our own families. And so find those key individuals that are wanting to help you and are wanting to, and are good-hearted and give you good energy and vibes, do not always assume negative intents. Don't, because we close ourselves off. And I remember that growing up, I always assumed negative intent from everybody because I had that experience. So don't assume negative intent. Open your heart to anybody who wants to help you. And be yourself, always be yourself, be true to yourself. If you like something and that's what you like, Don't be ashamed of it. Be who you are. Great advice. Great advice. Thank you so much, Jose, for sharing uh, so much of uh, your personal story with us today. Uh, The spirit of leading is a calling, I think. Uh, People uh, call to something beyond just being in front of the room. Mm -hmm. Uh, They lead because they see they have a vision and they know there are better places. They know that things are always improving and moving forward they can they see they see places where they want to go and they want other people to be able to go there as well and uh, i'm sure there are many other adventures that you're going to have you know you're in in life uh what 26 27 now somewhere in that range 26 26 and already have done much and have had uh, quite a wealth of experience and overcome many barriers along the way to get where you are so that just means that uh, there's much in ahead of you that is, are possibilities that can be endless. 
Well, I'm, I'm really excited what the future holds and able to work with anyone, anywhere. Um, I welcome everyone. Well, I look forward to uh, seeing great things down the road from you and the way you'll influence others is certainly encouraging just to know. Thank you. So thanks so much for taking time today to share that uh, part of your life with us. That's Jose Vega. He's the program director for Oklahomans for Equality and the Denisar uh, Neal Equality Center here in Tulsa, where we happen to be recording uh, this episode today. So thanks so much for your time. Thank you for having me. Well, that's it for this installment of The Spirit of Leading. I want to thank you for listening, and I want to encourage you to recognize and appreciate anyone, just anyone, who demonstrates the spirit of leading at work and in the community. Be listening for the next installment of The Spirit of Leading. Sign up for this podcast, or you, and you can receive notifications about when the next installment will be published. You'll also receive links to my empowering thoughts. Until next time, I urge you to live empowered, to live each and every day by encouraging the spirit, enlivening the heart, enlightening the mind, and enlarging the expectations of living in yourself and in others. I'm Garland McWaters. Mm-hmm.